If you have a Bible, go ahead and take it and turn to the book of Luke chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, there's some extras on the back table there. You're welcome to grab one. But Luke chapter 20, and we'll be focusing on a short section, um, verses 41 through 44 this morning. Well, everybody wants to be king of something. I've been thinking about Jesus and his kingship, but everyone else, we think about people that are the king of something, the most, that you want to be the most revered or deserving to have the most praise in some particular area. You've been thinking about that phrase, the king of something. Two weeks ago, B.B. Uh, king died. B.B. king was the king of the blues. Um, undisputed. It probably was disputed by some, but most people didn't argue that universally he was recognized as, as the king of the blues. I got to see him in, at the Louisville Palace Theater. Uh, that was one of my things I wanted to, I wanted to see him before he passed, and so that was a, a great thing. And man, he, he knew how to play, even sitting on a, on a stool. He was the king of the blues. Sometimes there's no disputing who's the king, but then other times there's sort of argument about who's the best. At something, I think the the one that always comes up is different sports characters and who's the greatest at a certain sport. And we always talk about Michael Jordan. Is Michael Jordan the greatest, or was it you know, was Kobe is Kobe better or LeBron or you know everyone's shaking their heads. So maybe he is undisputed. But there's there's argument about who's the who's the greatest. I, I think that's kind of what's going on here, and it's an argument about who's the greatest, who's better, who's the the king in a sense between David, King David, and the coming Messiah. And Jesus is going to make a a, a comparison between David and the coming Messiah himself and say that the Messiah, that he, Jesus, is greater than King David. Now that may seem a little irrelevant to us. Okay, who cares? But in answering that question, Jesus is again revealing more and more who he is as king and revealing that he, King Jesus, is greater than anything or anyone. I think that's really what he's lifting out in this passage, that he, King Jesus, is greater than anything or anyone. You know, my hope this morning, and what I think the point of this passage is, Jesus asks this question, is to exalt Christ. That, that together we would look at God's word, here and elsewhere, and see, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the greatness of King Jesus. And that in seeing his greatness, we would come to submit more and more to his rule. That we would behold the glory of God and therefore become more like him. Beholding is becoming. There's something about standing back and staring into the glory of God that helps us to submit more to his rule and to grow to love him more and to serve him more. And sometimes it's good just to step back and think about the glories of Christ, of of who he is. And I think that's what this passage leads us into. Because so often we, we submit to other kings and other rules in our lives. We let something or someone else reign over us. Jesus said anyone who sins is a slave to sin. So you're serving somebody. And to be enslaved to sin is to have sin as your king. To be enslaved to addiction is to have that addiction as king. Our selfish desires can be king over us. Our work or our boss can be king. Our spouse or our children can rule over us. Our friends, our family might be the person that calls all the shots in our lives. But Jesus, when he's rightly exalted, is the one that we want to kneel before and say, you are the king and we will do whatever you say, Jesus. Because King Jesus is greater than anything or anyone. 
So you'll remember as we step into this passage, this is two weeks ago now, not last week, but that Jesus has been asked questions. So people keep coming to Jesus asking him questions. First there's spies that are sent by the scribes and they come and ask Jesus a question. And then the Sadducees come to Jesus and ask him a question. And in the end they, they say, we don't want to ask any more questions. Because every time they ask Jesus a question, he shows forth how wise he is, how great he is, and he reveals how foolish they all are. And so they say, we're done asking questions. We don't have anything else to say, Jesus. So at this point, Jesus says, well, I've got a question. (laughs) Let me ask you guys a question. He turns the tables on them. So follow along with me. Let's actually start in Luke 20 and start in verse 39 just to get that that feel for how this thing has ended. In verse 39 it says, Then some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well, for they no longer dared to ask him any question. But he said to them, how can they say that the Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David thus calls him Lord. So how is he his son? This is an interesting question. You see, it's kind of bookended. There's two questions kind of asking the same thing. The first one there in verse 41, how can they say that the Christ is David's son? And verse 44, David thus calls him Lord, so how is he his son? And in the middle is a quotation from Psalm 110, a psalm of David. And so that's the the question. And the question has to do with with the greatness of the coming Messiah. And it's rooted in an understanding that a son cannot be greater than his father. Uh, culturally, it would have been possible to think about a child being greater than his or her father or, or mother because that child's existence is dependent upon his or her parents. The, the person would not exist without their parents. And that greatness would extend back all the way in the family line. So in Jewish culture, that's why Abraham is so revered because Abraham is the father of the Jewish people. He is the end of the line, as it were. He is the one that, from whom all Israelites have come. You know, we see that there's a reverence, there's a respect for, for elders in different cultures. I see it more in maybe in Filipino culture, as I've interacted with those of you who are Filipino, than maybe in American culture. But, but in each, there's this understanding that we are dependent upon those who have come before us, that we would not even exist if not for our parents and our grandparents, and our great-grandparents, all and down the family tree, those who have come before us, therefore, are, are greater than us. This is, then is at the heart of Jesus' question, because he points out this apparent contradiction, this apparent clash that, that he sees, because according to Psalm 110, he says, the Messiah, the descendant of David, is said to be greater than David. So his question is, how can a son of David someone that came from David, be said to be greater than David. How's that possible? Now, David, who's David? David, of course, is is referring to King David. King David, who was the greatest king in all of Israel. This is the king who was the model for all other kings. He was the king to whom all other kings were compared. When you think about kings, there was no argument about who was the greatest. David was the greatest king of Israel. Hands down, he won. 
He was of the tribe of Judah. He was the youngest son of Jesse. You remember that story? He was a, a keeper of sheep as a young boy. But even at that young age, you, God's hand was, was on him. His faith in God was, was firm. And he was chosen as the unlikely successor to King Saul. He didn't look like a king, but God knew his heart and that his heart was a, that he was a man after God's own heart, as the scriptures say. You remember, this is David. David's the boy hero. What a great story of David where he comes out to, to visit his brothers and all the Israelites are shaking in the face of the Philistine champion Goliath. And, and David walks out in front of him holding a, a sling and some stones. You remember that scene with, with little, little David standing there in front of Goliath and he says to Goliath in, in 1 Samuel 17:45 to 47, just before he kills him, he says, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. I mean, you can see anyone who gives a speech like that and then follows it up with actions is going to be a hero in any nation. I mean, he's the king and he's just this little boy at that point. But, but even as this little boy, the nation starts to sing songs about how great David was. Anyone ever wrote a song about how great you are? Not me. But King David, they're singing songs about how great he is. Not only is he revered by the people, but he's, he's honored by God. He's given a special covenant by God, a specific promise. Second Samuel 7, 16 through 17, God says this to David, But my steadfast love will not depart from him, from Solomon, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house, David, and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. God gives David a special promise and says that someone from your line will always sit on the throne of Israel from that line of Judah. That's who David is. And so Jesus is saying, how can, how can the Messiah who came, who's coming from David, born of the great King David, how can he be greater than David? How could anyone be greater? Than David. And he asked this question because that psalm there says it. It says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. I want to read Psalm 110 in its entirety. Um, psalm 110, you're welcome to turn there. It's probably almost smack dab in the middle of your Bible. But Psalm 110, it's a short psalm, just seven verses. It's a messianic psalm speaking of the coming Messiah. And it's one of the most important psalms in the Old Testament because it's quoted more than any other Old Testament scripture by the New Testament authors. It's an extremely important psalm. Uh, and so let's read, I'm going to read this whole thing. Psalm 110, beginning in verse 1, it says there the title, A Psalm of David. The Lord, and you might note in your Bible, your translation might have that all caps. Just note that. The Lord says to my Lord, and that is not all caps, different Word, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. 
From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. Again, this is a messianic psalm. It's a psalm that looks forward to the coming king, to the promised deliverer, to this seed of David who would crush and scatter all the enemies of of God's people. It speaks of him, of the Messiah, not just as a king, but as a priest, as one who would go before God on behalf of the people. Of course, David was a king. He was of the, of the tribe of Judah, but he was not a priest because only those in the tribe of Levi could be priests. But this psalm says there's going to be a king that comes who will also be a priest. The Messiah will be from David's line, but he will be a priest after this order of Melchizedek, that strange, mysterious Old Testament character from the book of Genesis that Abraham pays vows to. He says this priest, uh, Melchizedek, Hebrew says, who has no beginning and no end. And Jesus picks up on this statement in verse 1 of Psalm 110, where David says, The Lord said to my Lord. So David speaks of the Lord. And it's capital L-O-R-D in some translations of the Old Testament, which is, which indicates it's the Hebrew word Yahweh. It's, it's, it's what was given to Moses as I am. Um, this is the, the Lord. So the Lord Yahweh says to my Lord. And the word there in the Old Testament is the word Adonai, another, another word that's used to indicate God. So Yahweh says, my, my, Yahweh says to my Adonai, or God says to my God. God says to David's God. That's what, that's what's going on here. And so Jesus is saying, how, how can this be? How could a descendant of David be greater than David? Because this, this, David is calling him Lord. What's, what's the point here? What's David trying, what's, what's, and what's Jesus trying to reveal about the Messiah? I want to give you three things. First, that the Messiah is, he, he's a descendant of David. He is a descendant of David. And psalm, quoting this psalm and, and him saying, how is he, you know, how, how, how can they say that the Christ is David's son? That's not saying that the Christ, that the Messiah is not David's son. That's not at all what is going on here. Jesus is not denying the fact that he, as the Messiah, was a descendant of David. This is, this is hu- a hugely important fact throughout the New Testament. I mean, the opening chapter of the whole New Testament, Matthew chapter 1, is just a genealogy. It's Jesus' family tree. And the whole point of that family tree is to say, Jesus was descended from King David. That's, that's the whole point of that chapter. He was a descendant of David. Even Luke highlights this, that, that Jesus is the fulfillment of that covenant made to David. So the angel Gabriel says this to Mary in Luke 1, 31 to 33. And behold, Mary, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his, of his kingdom there will be no end. That's important. That's the word that Gabriel gives to Mary. And it doesn't trail off then in the rest of the New Testament. Paul brings it out in Acts 13. 
And in the beginning of the book of Romans, he speaks of Jesus as the son of David. It's important. So Jesus has to be a descendant of David. Because if not, then the word of God has failed. And Jesus can't be the Messiah. Because God says he will be a descendant of David. And Jesus is a descendant of David. So what Jesus is trying to say here is, yes, he is a descendant of David. But he's more than that. He's not merely a descendant of David. He's not just an earthly king like David. So Jesus is tapping again into the messianic misconceptions. This idea of who the Messiah was going to be. You remember, it hasn't been that long ago. We're talking days since Jesus came into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. And what are they expecting? Romans are gone. Jesus is setting himself up like David to be the king, to be the Messiah, the reestablishment of David's rule. And of course, he, he will come in that sense, but not now. And so Jesus is saying, so, so first we see in this that, that he is the descendant of David. Second, though, he is also David's Lord. Jesus is David's son, but he's so much more than that. It's, it's like your smartphone. It's a phone, right? But it's so much more than that. Or, or they're advertising the new Apple Watch. The Apple Watch. If, all you, if you got the Apple Watch and all you used it for was to tell time, wouldn't that be it? Why, why did you pay that much for a watch? Well, I guess there are watches that just tell time that actually do cost that much, but that's beside the point. Anyways, the, the Apple Watch, is, it's, a, it's a watch, right? But it's so much more than that. And, and I think that's part of what, what's going on here. The Messiah, Jesus, he is a king in the line of David. Oh, but he's, he's so much more than that. He's more than a king like David. He's greater than David. Jesus has already said he's greater than Solomon back in Luke eleven thirty one. Remember reading that? The Gospel of John, Jesus makes a similar shocking statement when he tells us here is that Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, spoke about his coming. And the crowd says, listen, have you forgotten that you're only 50 years old? How would Abraham be excited to see you? And Jesus responds by saying, before Abraham was, I am. He uses that name for God again. Jesus is David's Lord because he is the eternally existent one. He is like Melchizedek, no beginning, no end. He is Adonai in this passage. He is the one to whom God, Yahweh, is speaking in Psalm 110. Because he's not just David's descendant, and he's not even just David's Lord. Let's be very clear. He's more exalted than King David, and he's more exalted than just David's Lord. He is God. Jesus is God himself. What else is Psalm 110 than the mystery of the Trinity? What, what else can it be? The Lord says to my Lord. It's as if David is hearing a conversation between God the Father and God the Son, though he does not know how to refer to him in that way at this moment. But he, he says, he hears the Father say to the Son that he's going to put him in the seat him in a, in a place of honor. He hears the Father say to the Son, I'm going to put all your enemies under your feet like a footstool. That all the enemies of God are going to be like an ottoman for Jesus to put his legs on top of. I mean, that's, that's the picture. They're going to be like the kings in the book of Joshua. Do you remember those kings that are defeated? And Joshua brings the leaders of Israel and says, come here, put your feet on the necks of these kings. And he says, this is what all the enemies of God will be like to you. That's, that's what the enemies of God are like to Jesus. They're put under his feet. Now this, this is a core truth that sets apart Christianity 
from all other faiths and religions of the world. And it's this belief in the Trinity, that God has revealed himself in three persons. He is a triune God. He is one in three. This is how our statement of faith sums it up. It's a mystery. I'm not going to try to explain the whole thing, but it says, God is revealed to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, each with distinct personal attributes, but without division of nature, essence, or being. God is a trinity, and that's what we believe. He is one. God is one, and he is revealed in three persons. And from that flows what we call our, our Christology, our understanding of who Jesus Christ was. And if God is a trinity, then who is Jesus? Jesus is God. And our understanding of the, na- of the nature of Jesus is also what separates us and sets us apart from all other religions in this, in this world, and even from, from Christian sects, people who say that they are Christians and don't believe that Jesus is God. This is what sets us apart, because who was Jesus? In fact, who was Jesus not? Let me give you some things. He was not simply a good man. Jesus was not simply a good man. He certainly was a good man. Uh, he was. He showed that in his kindness to the poor, to the oppressed, and in the way that he responded with compassion to the outcasts of society. But he was so much more than a good man. He, in fact, was the only true good man that has ever walked this earth. Because no one is good except God alone, right? Jesus was, was perfectly holy, and he obeyed the law perfectly. He loved God with all his heart, with his soul, with his mind, and his strength. And he loved his neighbor as himself. He was not simply a good man. Jesus was the greatest man who ever lived. He was the second Adam. He never failed in the ways that Adam did. He was the Son of God, begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was not just a good man. And he wasn't just a great teacher. As you look through them, the, the, the questions that people come to ask him, they keep coming to him and saying, Teacher, teacher, teacher. That's all they want to call him is, is teacher. But he's so much more than a teacher. He's not just another scribe or Pharisee or teacher of the law. They all operated on some sort of borrowed authority, and all they could do was quote other teachers. And he's not some some guru or some sage. He didn't talk in mystical phrases that you could take any way you wanted to. No, he spoke with authority, and his words ring with the authority of God himself, because he, he wasn't just a great teacher. He wasn't just a good man or a great teacher. He wasn't simply an, an anointed miracle worker. Moses and Elijah and Elisha and Peter and, and Paul, they all performed amazing miracles through the power of God, but none of them matched the miraculous power of Jesus. He cast out demons and he says, I do it by the finger of God. A woman comes to him in a crowd, touches him, and what happens? Power goes out from him. His power and he stands in front of Lazarus' tomb and he speaks as the voice of God and says, Lazarus, come out. He's, he's more than just a great miracle worker. He's not just a good teacher. He's not, not just a, a, a good man. He's not just a prophet. He's not simply a prophet. There, there are many prophets, people who spoke for God. And we, could, we, we need to listen to the words of Isaiah and, and, and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and, and others. But they were all speaking of someone who was to come. They were all talking about the Messiah. And as Jesus proclaims in John 5.39, he says, they bear witness about me. All those prophets are talking about me, Jesus says. The prophets prophets 
were great, but but Jesus, who is the subject of the prophecies and the fulfillment of them, is greater far than all those prophets. And he comes and he speaks with authority, not like the scribes, such that even his enemies, they, they say, no one ever spoke like this guy. The guys that are trying to trap him say, we've never heard anyone teach like this. And at the end, they ask him all of these questions. And what, what, what happens at the end? They, they can't ask anything else. They have nothing else to stump him. He is the word of God. He's the exact representation of the nature of God. Others talked about who God was. Jesus spoke as God himself on earth. He's the great prophet. There are no prophets after him. There are no prophets after Jesus that will supersede him. There's no further revelation that we need by some other so-called prophet because Jesus has fulfilled and he will fulfill everything that was written about him. Those who talk about further revelation in, in other books, in the Quran or the, the Book of Mormon or the writings of Confucius or Buddha or some other religious text or writing or those who claim their own personal revelations or prophecies that they have received that are on par with Scripture or the words of Jesus or those who have their own perceived um, rationality or, or scientific experimentation or empirically verified experiments, those all fail to understand the authority of Jesus as the final word of God that, that what the author of Hebrews says is true, that long ago and many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers through the prophets, but, but in these last days he has spoken through his Son. And Jesus speaks as the final authority on all matters of life and godliness and salvation. He is the final authority. He's not just a prophet. He wasn't simply a priest. He wasn't even born of the line of Levi. He's not just a normal priest. He's a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And, and the author of Hebrews goes off on this in, in, in chapter 7. He says, The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He wasn't just a priest. He was the great high priest. And he wasn't just the great high priest, he was in fact the offering that he offers himself as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus, who is he? He's not just a good man, he's not just a, a great teacher, he's not just an anointed miracle worker, he's not just a prophet, he's not just a priest. And according to this passage, he's not just a king. He's not just some king. He certainly was descended from the line of David. He came into this earth, born of a woman, born under the law. He is the shoot from the stump of Jesse. He is the son of David. But he's also David's king. Because he's the king of all kings. He's, he's greater than David. Because he is the resurrected one. He has been lifted high. He has ascended to heaven. He sits at God's right hand until God decides that it's time to make all of Jesus' enemies that footstool for his feet. Peter got it on, on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. You guys read this last week when I was laying in bed. <laughs> but Matt read this for you. Listen to some of these words. In Acts 2, 29-35, Peter quotes Psalm 16 and says, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us 
to this day. David is dead. Being therefore a prophet, David was a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and that we are we all are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend to the heavens, but he himself says, and he quotes what Jesus quoted, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. He is not just a king, he is the resurrected king. One day he will come as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And in that day, you think about all these kings, David will bow down to Jesus. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they will worship Jesus. The prophets will all kneel before him. And all the religious teachers of all ages will put their nose to the ground in front of Jesus. All earthly kings, all presidents will grovel before Jesus because he is the king. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will say, Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And and no one, not one person will stand back and and cross their arms in some sort of protest. (laughs) Say, no, he's not really the king. Every knee, every single knee will bow because everyone will see the glory of Jesus. No one's going to be in the crowd and say, Jesus, tell your disciples to be silent. Not one person. Every knee will bow. Who is Jesus? Just in this simple phrase, Jesus pulls out who he truly is. He's the descendant of David. He is the promised Messiah. He is the one that had been foretold forever that he was that he was coming and he's david's lord david was great i mean there was no one greater in israel than david and jesus is david's lord and not only that but he is the one true and living god he's not just a great a good man he's not a great teacher he's not an anointed miracle worker he's not just a prophet or a priest or a king but he is god himself he's the exact representation of God, in him all the fullness of deity dwelt in bodily form. He was God. And he was sent to this earth by God to make us right with God, to provide salvation. So if that's who Jesus is, if we can see him exalted and enthroned for who he is, we can behold him in all of his glory as the King of kings, the Lord of lords then what should our response to that Jesus be? I want to just give you one, and it comes from Psalm 2. In Psalm 2, after speaking of King Jesus, this is what Psalm 2 at the end says, Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be smart, kings. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Let's extend it to everyone. All people of the earth, be wise. Be warned. Serve the Lord with fear. And rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry, 
and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. That, that kind of king is someone that we should revere and someone that we should fear. And the author of the psalm says, if you see him for who he is, you better figure out how to make appeasement with him, how to be made right with him. Kiss the son or he will be angry with you. Serve the Lord with fear, with trembling. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So what is our response? Take refuge in the son. Don't, don't rebel against this king. There's no hope if you rebel against this king because every knee will bow. And there will be those who have bowed as his subjects and there will be those who bow as his enemies. And you don't want to bow as an enemy. So take refuge. He comes and, and, and God says, take refuge in him. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. God has made a place of refuge within himself, within Jesus. That there is wrath on us from King Jesus because we have rebelled against him. Naturally, that's what we do. And so the wrath of God comes on us because we have rebelled against this great king. But the invitation of Psalm 2 is take refuge in him. Come and bow before him and say, you are the king. I, I, I rebelled against you, but I submit to your rule and to your reign. Confess of my, my sins. I repent. I turn from my sin. God, don't be angry with me, but, but show kindness to me. And the psalm says, blessed are those who take refuge in him. Come take refuge in this king. And then if you have taken refuge, this phrase, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. We catch a vision for who Jesus is, seated, exalted. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, full of power and authority. Then we will serve Christ and we will do it with fear. But we will rejoice and we will rejoice with trembling. What a dichotomy that is, isn't it? We serve him with fear and we rejoice with trembling. If we see Christ for who he is, then we will serve him in that way with fear and reverence and awe. There's no disputing. There's no question about who is king. He's Jesus is king. He's the promised one. He's the descendant of David. He's David's Lord. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. Have you submitted to him? You will bow your knee. Everyone will. And if you have, then let's serve him with fear. Let's rejoice with trembling before him. Let's take a moment of silence and reflect on the beauty of Christ. And then I will close this in prayer. Be exalted, O God. O Jesus, be exalted. Let your glory be over all the earth. Lord, we once again admit that, that you are king. We confess, God, we want to submit to your reign and your rule in, your, in our lives. We want you 
to be enthroned. We want to serve you with fear. We want to rejoice with trembling before you. We want to be blessed by taking refuge in you. So God, be lifted up in our lives. Be lifted up in this church. Be lifted up in this community and in this world. And you said, God, if you are lifted up, then you will draw all people to yourself. So we pray for those that are in rebellion against your kingdom, that don't want to admit that you are king. Lord, that we would lift you up high, that people would see the glory of who you are as the king of kings, and people would come, they would look on you and be saved. Lord, I pray that you would fill us this week with a vision for who you are, that that, that picture of you enthroned would, would go with us day by day, that we would willingly and lovingly and, and, and with joy we would submit to your rule and to your reign in our lives. Be exalted, Jesus. Pray this all in your name. Amen.